Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, welcome back to Ausfizz Live from our Brangaroo studios. You have tuned in to the call. 10 stocks picked by you. I put them to our expert panel. We do it all in one hour. Let's bring in the panel. And it's a little Christmas elf from Toowoomba. <laughs> Andrew Wyland from DP Wealth Advisory. And, <laughs> and Henry Jennings from Marcus today in the studio. What does he look like, Henry? <laughs> he looks like elf on a shelf. Or the Grinch, maybe. Could be the Grinch. Not a great look. Oh, I love it, Andrew. And... Um, Toowoomba's in the festive spirit, and I should imagine the Empire Theatre has got the Christmas tree and all the lights around it. We're going off like a frog in a sock, uh, Koshi. It's uh, it's it's the place to be, and uh, you know, end of year uh, dance uh, rehearsals and recitals. Uh, all the schools have got out, the prize giving day, and uh, the team are about to have a well earned break. We've had a, a great year at the theatre, so go off for a couple of weeks, recharge the batteries and get stuck into it for an even bigger 2024, including our Ausbiz premiere. Do you want to talk about that now or should we cover that a bit later? Oh, we'll cover it. Ausbiz live from the Empire Theatre or or at least the, the call from the Empire Theatre. Wow, that's a Don't you think in Toowoomba? What do you reckon, Henry? Sorry. Are you up for it? I'm up for it. Oh, yeah. That's a great idea. I reckon we, idea. we should do that. Yeah. All right. Take the call on the road. Done. All right. Um, let's uh, speak of getting stuck into it after your um, sort of uh, motivational speech then. Um, <laughs> let's see uh, what we're going to be taking a look at in the first half hour of the program. Uh, Perseus Mining, Next Gen Energy, Latin Resources, uh, the uh, Standard & Poor's 500, S&P 500, ETF Trust and Magellan uh, winds out the, uh, the half hour. Stock of the day though. Uh, thought we'd take a look at IDP Education, uh, requested by a viewer, uh, San, as the company's student placement volumes face threats by migratory restrictions, migration restrictions. Um, in Brokerland, Jeffrey sees potential downside risk to IDP first half FY24 estimates due to lower student intake in the coming months, possibly seeing a 17% decline in international students coming to Australia. Uh, the broker also sees downside risks to the company's second half. Uh, 24 student placement volumes, it maintains an underperform rating. Uh, does it still offer long-term investment prospects? Andrew Wyland, what do you reckon? With IDP, is, oh. it, is it gonna suffer because of um, well, it's not really a crackdown on migration. If you look at the announcement yesterday, uh, it's blatantly obvious that the federal government has lost control of migration <coughs> and are saying, oh, we'll just bring it back to what we estimated in the budget. Well, that's what we all thought you were doing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lots, of, lots of moving parts on, on that question, Koshi. I'll, I'll stick to IDP or IEL for those playing at home. Um, I mean, I'm just looking at the chart. The chart looks dreadful. Um, and I'm also looking at the percentage shorted. And uh, the percentage shorted, it's certainly at a year high. So in other words, percentage shorted tells us how many people are betting that the company's share price will fall. And just rudimentarily, it looks like it's about 9 or 10% of the shares are shorted, which is pretty high, in particular for about a $5.7 billion company. Uh, on past performance, it looks okay. Things like return on equity is pretty strong at 31%, and it's got strong, well, prior to the last couple of days, strong forecast earnings per share growth. But it's always been expensive, Koshi, always been expensive, um, trading at around 32 times earnings relative to the market, which is sort of around that 14, 15 times. So even even without that sort of most recent news, um, and we've, we covered this back in September and I was a bit cautious in September, thankfully, because uh, we're about four bucks cheaper than it was uh, then now. But 
Um, it just shows the danger in investing in any company where, with the stroke of the minister's pen, your yep. business model can change overnight. And that really scares me. We like businesses that have a big moat around them. You know, it's a, sort of that sort of uh, business whereby it's really hard to replicate. Uh, not immune to regulatory change, but it's pretty hard. Uh, this unfortunately doesn't fit that criteria. So for the political stuff you just spoke about, from a valuation point of view, I can think of plenty, of, and the shorting, I can think of plenty of reasons not to be there. So thanks, but no thanks. Henry, it used to be a darling, didn't it? Just a, a license to print money. So did I. Yeah. I used to be a darling as well. <laughs> Um, shout out first of all in, in whose eyes yeah, uh, well my wife shout out yeah. to Dr Stewart who is a big fan of the show all right. apparently um, so uh, shout out to Dr Stewart in that one um, IDP education well it's kind of being hit on a number of fronts isn't it Koshi yeah. the whole immigration thing yeah. and it was not that long ago I think it was a couple of weeks ago that we were hearing about the agents how much they were being paid uh, to um, harvest uh, overseas students, yeah. um, which came as a bit of a shock to me, I must admit. Yeah. There was a huge amount of money that the universities are paying. Massive to, to, to direct these companies yeah. to send their students here rather than Canada or... Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that IDP is involved in that, yeah. but certainly the agents are a funnel for IEL or IDP yeah. uh, into this country. And of course, with the, um, with the clampdown, I guess, on the immigration front that we've seen from uh, the government in the last few days, it doesn't hold a lot of appeal for this one, does it? No. I mean, there's, there's not much to like about it. We, people got pretty excited, I guess, at the end of COVID that the Chinese students were gonna return en masse. I don't think we've seen that. The COSI live, the, the cost of living, as everyone's talking about, mm. um, has made Australia probably quite a, a, an expensive destination for students to go to. And I think there's a number of barriers that now are being put up. And really and truly, uh, IDP for me is just not on my radar at the moment. Um, we, as I say, we all got excited. Just been punished though, has it? Has been punished, but as Andrew says, it's still expensive, so yeah. it could be punished more. What what has happened in 2023 is I've got to say we always talk about investment from the uh, the long side of things, but shorters have done extraordinarily well this year. Yep. If you were short stocks, specific stocks you have had a knockout year, mm. um, probably more so than being long stocks. Mm. So um, yeah, so there, there's obviously validity in that kind of uh, investment strategy, but not for the average retail punter. But this one's certainly not for me at the moment. Okay, all right. Uh, Philip wants a view, um, Henry, on Perseus Mining, the, uh, uh, the gold mining company uh, in Africa, um, Ghana, uh, Cote d'Oluva. Uh, whatever Cote that is. Yeah, yeah, no, I got no. That. You do. Lavoir or something. <laughs> um, so, and the Sudan as well. So basically African-based gold mines. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, African-based gold mines. They, they've done very well over the, uh, you know, over the, the last sort of uh, period of history. They are very much hostage to the gold price. Yep. They've also carry an inordinate amount of uh, sovereign risk to some extent. You know, we all talk about you know, Africa, and there's certain places you don't want to be, one of which has turned out to be Mali, uh, Burkina Faso, uh, Cote d'Ivoire is pretty good uh, in terms of uh, sovereign risk. But still, if you're playing in Africa, uh, you've just got to be a little bit yeah. careful. You know, I think um, for me at the moment, the gold price, we had that big rush up, big rush of blood to the head uh, above 2100. And then it's come not all the way back, but it's now back below 2,000. It's still pretty strong in Aussie dollar terms, 3,000 bucks. Um, but the good thing about Africa is it's relatively cheap. You know, you don't have the same cost pressures that we do in Australia. Yeah. Uh, production has been better than expected. Um, the all-in sustaining cost, which is the important thing, has been better than expected. So it hasn't suffered, I guess, uh, when you look at that chart as much as some of the other uh, gold miners. It's had a pretty good five years. Look at that, 389% mm rise in the last five years. So it has been good. But just for the moment, I think with the headwinds that we're seeing in the gold price and the fact that it's kind of consolidating around here, uh, I just probably, if you've got it, it's probably a hold. Right. Gold should be a speculative part of your portfolio. It is kind of a bit of a risk insurance in theory when everything goes to custard, then gold 
kind of helps. Yep. Um, but you shouldn't be putting all your eggs in one basket, certainly not in an African. So is gold produce. out of favour or the gold stocks out of favour for you at the moment? Um, I don't think out of favour. Um, they've had a they had a big rush up and they've had a big sell off. I think we're seeing a little bit of end of year kind of stock take going on at the moment. Yeah. We're seeing a lot of things that people have liked throughout the year of, of being squared up for the end of year and fund managers are closing down their books. Volumes are drying up a little bit, so we are seeing some big moves to the downside. What surprised me not was that gold hit 2100 in a big rush of blood because interest rates were coming off in the US, but the, the fact that it was starting at quite a high level to start with, yeah, you know, interest rate rises have gone to you know five percent, mm. uh, pretty much on the ten-year bonds in the U.S. and the gold price hung in there, mm. and then when it started coming down, it kicked. Mm. So central banks been doing a lot of buying, but I think okay. at the moment gold is just one of those sectors that people are happy to just let it settle. I, okay. I'd just be letting it settle. Right, hold for you, Andrew. Yep. What do you think of Perseus? Oh, look, sovereign risk is absolutely something we need to be mindful of. But, you know, there's sovereign risk involved in investing in Australia too. Just ask BHP with their coal mines in Queensland as an example. So, uh, you know, we have to be mindful of that risk, but the risk is everywhere. Um, I mean, I like the fact that they're now holding, uh, what is it, $594 million US in cash and gold. Um, you know, for a $2.5 billion market cap, that's not too bad. Okay. Uh, I like their margin as well. It's almost $1,000 an ounce. So to Henry's point, they're a low-cost producer. But their, go- their um, revenue, projected revenue growth uh, is pretty weak. It's only about 2%. So from my point of view, again, I'd probably be standing on the sideline. And unsurprisingly, I'd be more inclined to take a broader view and buy an ETF like gold, G-O-L-D, uh-huh. <laughs> which, um, as the name suggests, just holds gold bars in a vault in London. Um, And to me, then you're taking away all that risk relating to either exploring or producing or whatever the case may be. But I might add that, Koshi, you don't get the leverage that a gold miner gives you either. Sure. Okay, so avoid Perseus altogether, you think? Oh, if you hold, if you've got it, hold it. There's certainly nothing wrong with it, but I'll be gone. Okay, all right. Next stock, um, everyone wants a view on NextGen Energy, the uranium exploration and development company, uh, basically um, um, uh, based in Canada. Evans says uh, they claim to be in production within five years with the potential to control 25% of the global uranium supply and a top five global miner. Henry's thoughts, question mark. Henry's thoughts. Yes. There's a whole program on that, isn't there? (laughs) Whether you'll be able to follow the program is a totally different matter. But (laughs) it'll be quite a short program and lots of ads, I would imagine. Henry's Uh, thoughts on. um, I I can't find the tone of Evan saying they claim. They claim. (laughs) Well, it is the largest single source deposit of high grade low-cost uranium in the world. Oh, it's called so that's Rook. a fact. It's called Rook. Right. Um, it is some way off uh, at the moment. This, this is a kind of a weird one because it's a Canadian company that has a listing here. Yeah. Now, it is a multi-billion dollar market cap company, but that doesn't show up on the, the numbers here. The, the liquidity right. can be a little bit of an issue. As we can see from that chart. Yeah. Lots of blocks. It's, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's been problematic in terms of liquidity because it is Canadian. Sometimes you get a lot of volume, sometimes you're lucky right. it's trading by appointment. So um, you've got to be a bit careful of that. It is in Saskatchewan, it is in the Athabasca Basin. Uh, Rook is a big deposit, as I say, it is a world-class deposit. But these things do take a little bit of time. Now we all know, I guess, the uranium argument that's out there at the moment. You know, Clean and Green is now extending to uranium. And we've seen that with COP28, a lot of countries yep. committing to, to more nuclear. Um, whether that actually happens or not, we'll wait and see. At the moment, you know, the, the, the small modular reactors that everyone's getting really excited about, um, that's not really a happening thing. They're very expensive. Right. Technology is very complicated. It will happen, but the one in the US they were building in Utah has just been, they had the plug pulled because it was going to cost too much money. Um, but clearly this is significant. This is a billion uh, I think it's about four billion Canadian dollar market cap or something. So it's not Tiddler, right. but it really is a Canadian-based company, right. and it's got a, a listing here for whatever reason. I, so I don't, do they list their shares here? Is it one of these? 
you know, a sort of hybrid type. Yeah, it's, it's what they call a chest depository interest. Right. It's like right. um, in America, they're called ADRs, Australian yes. Depository Receipts. So it gives you the ability to trade BHP, for instance, in the US through this ADR. Right. Um, and, a, and a big bank like Bank of America put together a bunch of BHP shares and they call them an ADR. There's six, right. BHP, it's, it's a mechanism. Um, I don't mind this one. Uh, but I think liquidity is an issue. I, I quite like the uranium story, but timing is important because it kind of has its day and then it sort yeah. of flops back again. Paladin has obviously uh, is one of the go-tos. Uh, Deep Yellow looks interesting to me. Uh, Boss Energy as well. They've just so do you prefer those? Um, I think given the liquidity, it's easier to get in and get out of something like right. Paladin. Uh, I'm looking at Deep Yellow at the moment because it's come back from a dollar forty to ninety six cents. Um, and they just had a bit of a project upgrade the other day, although some of their assumptions in the pricing were a little bit on the high side. Yeah. Uh, but that was an update, and it did show that the cost overruns that they saw were going to happen in Namibia have actually um, come back. So that's right. a good thing. So I don't mind uh, next gen at all. Just liquidity is the issue, but it is a much bigger company than it sort of... Okay, so would you buy it? Um, I think it's a, it's an accumulate on weakness. I don't know if I okay. buy it here because it's run pretty hard, but uh, it's definitely a hold. Okay. All right, Andrew. Uh, look, Koshi, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of CDIs, so um, that's really it's a chest depository. Um, um, what's the word, Henry? Interest. I'm fading here, but Interest. basically, Interest. Yeah, instrument. Interest. So I'm not a huge fan of them. Um, so that to me is a bit of a negative. Henry's bang on relating to the amount traded. It's a $5 billion company and you've got $400,000 a day going through. So it's a bit intriguing as to why they're listed here to begin with. Uh, but, you know, certainly the economics make sense. Uh, the payback, once they get the mine up and going, based on the current uranium price, they'll have the entire uh, project paid back in six months. So uh, it is certainly um, a money-making machine. The, li- the mine's got a life of 11 years. So uh, for all the reasons Henry says, but again, being the ETF guy, uh, and <laughs> if you watch the drop tomorrow at uh, 10.50 Mexican time, 9.50 real time, uh, you'll uh, hear me talk about uh, one of the top three ETFs for the year, which may have a uranium flavour. Oh, so, okay. I'll, I'll tease on that one. But um, look, Koshi, it's okay, but the lack of liquidity equally concerns me. So on that basis, it's a hold. Okay. All right. And, and to, you know, we talk about big mines. If uranium price goes through the roof, you've got that little thing in South Australia called Olympic Dam. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They just bring out a mothballs and just whack the global market, is it? Well, it's, it's not the even... The biggest it. uranium mine in the world. And, the, and there's Kazakhstan and you've got Cameco. Um, you know, BHP's Olympic Dam is actually producing uranium because it's kind of like a byproduct. So right. they're, they're one of the only producers in Australia. Um, Rook looks interesting. I mean, it's the size, they t- say it's the size of a sports stadium, this deposit. So it's pretty concentrated. Wow. And it's going to provide 25% of the world's lithium supply. And we are, uh, not lithium, uranium. uranium. Um, so it's size of a sports stadium. That's what they say. Oh my God. Maybe a big sports stadium. Maybe Jeez. one in South America. If it's that concentrated, you wouldn't wouldn't want to go walking over the top, bushwalking over the top of it. No, you'd probably be glow glow in the dark. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's a remarkable stat. All right. uh, Our next stock, uh, Jamie wants a view, um, Henry, on Latin Resources, uh, another minor projects in uh, South America and also here in Australia, uh, mainly lithium. Hola. Um, Latin Resources, one of my favourites. I, I only own. It's a favourite. Yep, I only own two, or th- actually, I own three lithium stocks in my small cap portfolio: Latin, Lion Town, and um, Lithium Power, which is being taken over. So that we don't worry right. about that because it's a takeover oh. plan. Latin Resources. Why do you like it? Well, it's kind of someone gave Latin Resources the roadmap next door to Latin with their project, which is uh, called Salinas. And there is a big company called Sigma Lithium. And they pretty much started back in 2016, 2017, developed this resource. They're now coming into production. It's a four or $5 billion market cap uh, company. It's a behemoth. Wow. Now, 
Latin resources. It's on the boundary. Is right? next door. Not right. only and they you know they share a fence basically. And the Latin people look at the guys from Sigma and they talk over the fence. So they're oh. very close oh. uh, in terms of corporate um, culture. Very close in terms of uh, personnel. And you can just see the timeline now. Latin resources increased their uh, resource to 70.3 million tons, 1.27% lithium oxide, which is pretty good. They have been expanding this resource, so it's getting to be that size. Now, um, when you look at Salinas, uh, when you look at Sigma, rather, their resource is not that much bigger. Right. Obviously, they're further down the track. So you can kind of see the roadmap here. Of, uh, from Latin, they've got the book, they've got the map, and they go, well, we just need to get from there to there, and our market cap will go from under a billion to four or five, right. you know, assuming the lithium price doesn't crash anymore. So I like this one. Um, Chris Gale is uh, the man in charge, sat in on a webinar the other day they did, and next year will be interesting. They're talking offtake agreements, and they've got Macquarie on board there to get offtake agreements. They're seeing no appreciable sort of diminution of demand Mm. Um, and they're obviously very bullish still on the long-term lithium price they've had a bit of a pullback they have had a well they they started um we i put them in the small cap portfolio at 13 cents they got 40 i sold over half of them and they're back to 19. They had 35% rally on Friday last week for no reason at all, right. apart from this resource upgrade. Right. And now they're drifting back because I think that was a bit, somebody got a bit carried away. Um, okay. but, but they're they're a good buy. I, I'm happy to hold them. I would be buying on further weakness. Okay. Uh, further weakness from here? Well, down. everyone hates lithium. Right. Okay. Everyone hates lithium. Yeah. So, you know, my, my buy price was 15 cents again. Right. Didn't quite get there. But if you can get them at 17, 18 cents. Okay. Fill your boots. All right, Andrew. Yeah, look, I, uh, I mean, obviously, I'd be silly to cross Henry. I'm not that stupid, but um, yeah, I, Henry has called this correctly all the way through. Close to the bottom on the buy, close to the top on the sell, and so uh, look, everything I he said, I think, makes sense. I know consensus is, you know, in the sixty odd cents. Uh, management have been buying shares over the last 12 months. That's obviously a big positive. And I think from a technical point of view, like a, a break above 25 cents is confirmation that we're back in business. So, you know, as Henry's saying, buying at 17 and 18 is being opportunistic. Uh, but if you want to wait for that confirmation that technically it's back in business, you'd wait till 25. So it's a spec buy at these levels. Okay. All right. Spec buy. And for Henry, it's a fill your boots at 17 cents. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get um, now to the whisperer. Um, back in uh, his wheelhouse, uh, Lee, Andrew wants a view on the S&P 500 ETF trust, SPY. Yeah, this one's, dare I say, relatively simple. Um, really, you just, as the name suggests, it's a State Street product and you're just literally buying the S&P 500 in the US. So. Why would you buy the S&P 500 as opposed to, say, the NASDAQ, as an example? Uh, So really, all you're doing is you're buying the 500 best companies in the US. That's really what you're doing here. Uh, If you want to do the NASDAQ, then you're taking more of a healthcare bias or you're taking more of an IT bias. But if you're buying um, the S&P 500, you're 27% IT, 13% healthcare, and 13% financials. And you're buying things like Apple, Microsoft and Amazon, they're the sort of the three biggest constituents of the S&P 500. And as you can see there, um, for the last 12 months, the S&P 500 up 20%. Um, there's a couple of ways that you can play the S&P 500. So to answer Lee's question, uh, this is certainly one way in which you can do it um, through uh, SPY with the MER, Management Expense Ratio of nine basis points, which is very cheap on, in um in ETF land, the other way to play it um, is to actually buy um, a product through uh, BlackRock, which is um, IVV, uh, and it has a cheaper uh, MER. But you know, like the difference between nine basis points and wherever IVV is is not material. Like okay. it's not a huge difference at all. Uh, the other way to play it very briefly, which isn't in the question, but I'll say it anyway. Um, the way I do it in my super fund is QUS, which is an equal weighted. So if you're worried about 7% in Apple and 6% in Microsoft, but you still want to have that exposure, QUS buys 
0.25% of every single company. So you've got that equal weight strategy. And as you know, I like equal weight as a strategy. So you definitely want S&P 500 exposure. Do you do SPY? Do you do IBV? Or Andrew's approach, QUS. I'm happy to buy this at these levels. I'm still a big believer in the US economy, despite their best efforts mm. of stuffing mm. things up with options, okay. etc. So there's nothing wrong with this one, despite the um, basket of alternatives. Oh, not at all, no. because IVV and SPY are virtually like the like. Same. You know, okay. it's really all you're doing is you're going, do I want to pay four basis points or nine basis points? We're talking, you know, cents difference. It's not material at all. So certainly very happy to buy SPY. Andrew, the boring, US. Okay. Henry, the not boring. I wish I could be equal weight with Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> something, that has eluded, something that has eluded me for some years. Um, yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this. I mean, it's okay. you know, if, you, if you're arguing about the management expense ratio of 0.4 or 0.9, come on, guys, yep. you're kind of missing the point here. Yep. You know, this, this gives you what it does on the tin. It gives you exposure to the S&P 500. If you like that, and it's returned 9.9% since inception, the benchmark is 10.1%. So you've missed out on 0.2% since 1993. Um, Yeah, it does what it says on the tin. The US economy, uh, you know, we could talk about that, but it seems to be going relatively okay. You're positive on the US? Um, I am. I think it needs to consolidate a little bit and needs maybe to broaden out, going back to me being equal weight with Andrew. It does need to broaden out a bit like myself. Um, we have had that magnificent seven, you know, the yeah. Apples, the Microsoft, yeah. and this year has been the year of AI. Uh, yeah. But we are seeing, you know, peak rates probably in the US. We've probably seen that already. Um, even the, the paper that uh, Joe Biden and his administration are issuing uh, to fund the US deficit, which we don't want to talk about because it's too big, um, is being lapped up by people. The, the wild card next year for the US economy is the US presidential election. Yeah. And, and Donald Trump and what that does uh, it could push inflation back up because the administration might be tempted to spend a bit of money because Biden's pretty unpopular mm. uh, despite the fact that you've got record unemployment the GDP is going pretty yeah, well right. interest rates well that's not affecting everybody because they've all locked it in at two percent yep. anyway so but he's very unpopular so he needs to do something okay all right uh, and uh, final stock this half hour uh, Henry, Andrew wants a view on Magellan Financial, uh, the rock star that is the rock the... star that was Icarus. Yes, yes. Icarus, <laughs> the Icarus star. If you fly too close to the sun, you yeah. know what happens: your wax wings uh, melt. Um, Magellan, I guess, is a work in progress. It bottomed. Can you believe it's six bucks ish? Mm. And here we are, back at eight dollars seventy or whatever. It's just crept back up, hasn't it? It has crept back up. Continuing outflows of it funds. It has crept back up. There's change of executives. Change of executives again. Um, change of focus. Yeah. The, the money is still leaving the building, yep. uh, which is still somewhat worrying. Uh, but I've, ha- I've had this um, discussion before on Magellan. Uh, you know, funds management is not a difficult business if you get it right. And to get it right, you've got to perform, you've got to make your funds perform well. Uh, And Magellan did turn the corner with Nicky Thomas and the team there turning things around from pretty underwhelming performance under Icarus. Um, So that is good. Once you get the fund, once you get the wiggly line of your fund above the wiggly line of the market performance, then you can go out and market. Um, And also if the market's going up, your 100 million, 100 billion under management, which they haven't got anymore, but that was the target, well, like 35 billion. Now, if the market goes up 10%, they're now managing 38.5 billion. If it goes up another 10%, they're managing 41 billion. And the fees on that, you know, so it's a market leverage play. So that's, that's helping as well. I don't mind this one at the moment. It has run pretty hard, but there's things happening in the fund management business. Uh, with Perpetual, yep. uh, that uh, takeover potentially there. Sol Pat's moved mm-hmm. to 15% today. Uh, Regal's lurking. Um, and there are, you know, you've got to, this is an industry that needs to consolidate because the ETF whisperer, very erudite and very knowledgeable about this, the ETFs are eating their lunch, mm. you know, because they, they are four basis so, points. Uh, so why do you like it? Uh, because I think I, I think you're what, not going to call a buy on Magellan, are you? Uh, it was definitely a hold, 
Um, it's run a little hard for a buy, right. um, but given what's happening in perpetual, given what's happening in the fund management arena, and so given they've got performance back on track and the market I like, um, it's going to keep, I think, grinding up. It might not be spectacular, but I wouldn't be surprised mm. to see someone go, hello. Well, Baron Joe is a big shareholder. Well, they're a big, yeah. Oh, big, both ways, yeah. yeah. Um, but the, the interesting deal they did was with the global fund, the MGFOs, uh, with Nick Bolton, we ha we were pushing that big time under a cent. That became a ten bagger for our members. Uh, MGF uh, Magellan mm -hmm. basically said, "Here's ten cents, go away," uh, with this option that was expiring in March, and uh, that's a massive win. But that yeah. clears the decks for Magellan to some extent because they're only going to pay sixty-five million to extinguish a hundred and seventy million dollar potential liability. Right. So. Right. Um, it's it's a hold. hold. It's it's a buy. Verging it's on a buy. buy. It's verging on the buy, but it's run from six bucks to eight sixty. So, so if it gets back to seven, it's a buy. If it gets back to seven, then you probably don't want to buy it because it looks terrible again. There's oh. something, something gone wrong. I mean, it, it, it's a market leverage play. Okay. I, I'd be a, an accumulate on the back foot and uh, keep your stops tight just in case. Okay. All right, Andrew. Yeah, it's an interesting point Henry raises relating to ETF. So five years ago, six, almost six years ago since I did the US Odyssey, uh, at that time, funds under management in Australia for ETFs was $80 billion. I think Henry just shared with the members before, what's the number now, Henry? $170 billion, is that right? Mm. Um, yeah. I, um, something like that? Yeah. 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 So basically, you know, over the last five years, there's been 80 or $90 billion of money moved to ETFs. Now, some of that might be new money, but I bet you a lot of it is actually also coming from the actively managed money from a whole range of fund managers. And again, you know, say the Magellan average fee, and I'm picking numbers here, I'm not saying this is their average fee, but let's just pretend it's 1%, 100 basis points. I can buy SPY passive for nine basis points. You know, like you can mm. just see where the pressure is coming from. In the context of Magellan, it's cheap even relative to its peers. It's trading at around 12 times. The peers are trading at 14 times. So it's probably okay buying. And as Henry said, the chart is turning and short interest is falling. So people betting that the share price is going to fall, that's a baiting as well. So they're positives. Andrew, the miserable sort of seven to 750, consensus says $7, uh, but mm. this, sector is ripe for consolidation because of that whole pressure that's going on with ETF. So the danger is you wait and continue to be miserable, you might actually miss out on the consolidation. So I agree with Henry, it's probably an accumulate on weakness. But really, the days of active management, uh, um, they're under immense pressure. I'm not saying there isn't a place for active management, far from it. But the, uh, the the good old days of charging one two percent yeah. and delivering average yep. returns those long days gone. are gone. Okay, all right. Let's recap the first five stocks. IDP a no from both uh, Andrew and Henry. Uh, Perseus a hold from both. Um, the whisperer, of course, that likes the ETF GOLD as an alternative. Uh, Next Jet a hold from both. Um, Illiquid, basically a Canadian company. Uh, Henry's. Um, local preference, if you like, is, is Deep Yellow, Paladin and Boss. Uh, Latin Resources, um, it is a fill your boots buy from uh, Henry Jennings at 17 cents. <laughs> it's, it's 19 at the moment, is it? So yeah, it has swings. Yeah, not, not far off. A speculative buy from Andrew. Uh, the S&P 500 ETF, a yes from both of them. Magellan and Accumulate on Weakness. Um, and here on the call, of course, we've been following our own high conviction fantasy fund as picked by the investment committee, of which Henry is on that committee. Uh, the December committee meeting is live on the platform or on the platform at the moment, osbiz.com. The December meeting, uh, quite a few buys and sells. ResMed, Car Group, the old car, renamed car sales, and John's Ling were among those that were put into the portfolio. Uh, making way for them, taking profits on West Farmers, RPM Global and MA Financial and the uh, fund up 13% as we speak. Uh, this half hour, uh, the Vanguard MSCI Index International Shares ETF, uh, RAISE, uh, Aussie Broadband, the Beta Shares Energy Transition Metals ETF and ZIP. The buy now, pay later financial services group, which uh, 
is in the um, in the Christmas buying list that we've been running here on Ausbiz amongst the experts. All right, Max wants a view. Um, uh, Andrew on the Vanguard MSCI Index International Shares. Dare I say it, this one is almost as easy as SPY. So in this particular case, it's uh, Vanguard, hence the V, it's the first uh, initial. And it's buying the top 1,467 companies, it changes regularly, top 1,467 com- companies around the world, ex-Australia. Um, and probably the key thing that we need to be sort of talking about is it is unhedged. So in other words, um, you are therefore, you have two things to consider. Not only are international shares the place to be, and we'll talk about that in a second, but also the direction of the dollar. If you don't want to play that game and you're going, I've got no idea where the dollar's going. Of course, uh, 40 years ago yesterday, Koshi, you'd remember well, was when the dollar got floated. And the average price of the dollar over that 40 years is around 75 cents. So at the moment, we're 66 cents. So we've been using VGS a fair bit in our clients' portfolios, you know, from when the dollar went from 80 cents back to 63. Yeah. So our clients have had sort of a double kick. Not only has the share performance worked okay, but they've also picked up the currency. But now the dollar's starting to, of course, soon after I come back from Lego, uh, had to get the reference in there, that um, we're now sort of moving back potentially towards the more natural level of 75 cents. So if you're unhedged, that's not going to be helpful. And that, that, that being the case, you probably want VGAD, which is sort of the, the cousin fund, does exactly the same thing. It's hedged, and the cost of hedging is three basis points. Very briefly relating to performance, so I did a little bit of work, more so, and this is probably more germane to SPY, but I did a bit of work looking at the performance of the Australian share market over the last five years. Aussie share market up 5% over the mm-hmm. last five years. International shares, S&P 500, up 75% over the same period of time. So you definitely need to have some international exposure in your portfolio. The trade-off for that, though, Koshi, is that you do get a much lesser dividend. So if income is important to you, international may not be as friendly, but from a total return point of view, point of view, both growth and income, should think about some international. So I don't mind VGS, the hedging is a concern. If you don't want to worry about that, you'd actually buy VGAD. Okay, so, and you would do VGAD now? So a no... Uh, so again, me personally, so again, everyone's different. Me personally, I'm remaining unhedged because I still think there's plenty of uncertainty in the world. So say Iran gets pulled into this Middle East thing, game on, dollar's going to fall because the Aussie dollar's a risk currency. Okay. But if you're trying to manage that risk, you're more conservative than you just do VGAD. So I'm not trying to dodge the question. No, no. The, the so is it a buy on this one? You are. I think for the average client, they should hedge it just to protect themselves. Right. But if you've got a high tolerance to risk, VGS is fine. Okay. Um, well, Andrew, as usual, absolutely nailed this. Um, he is the whisperer. Uh, at the end of the day, you probably, unless you want to be a currency trader, unless you have a particularly um, passionate view on the Aussie dollar, yep. you're probably better off going with a hedge product. Uh, this one is 71% the US, 7 odd percent uh, Japan, so you've got pretty good exposure to those to say the least. Yep. So as with all ETFs, just ensure you know what you're buying. Have a look down, you know, what stocks they hold. 1700 is a long list to look down though, is it? Oh yeah, but you know, when you look at the list, um, and I'm looking at it now, you know, you've got 71% in the US, of which right. uh, Apple is 5.2%. Right. Followed okay. by Microsoft 4.6. So you're kind of getting a flavor. The big ones will stand out. Um, the problem we have in Australia, and Andrew's exactly right, you need international exposure because mm. we are a teensy weensy little backwall. It's a big gap in performance, isn't it? Yeah, it is a big gap. And the problem with our index is that we've got you know, four banks, BHP, Rio, and Fortescue. Fortescue hit a all-time high today, um, which is interesting. Um, and then you've got Woodside, Woolies, right. okay. West Farmers. Okay, that's it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we've, we've got no Apple, we've got no Nvidia, we've right. got you know, we've got no real sex appeal. Yep. Um, but we do have, because of the way our system is is tilted towards dividends, 
fully frank dividends, you know, that's not something that every country in the world has. No. In fact, very few countries have it. So we do have that advantage. If you're looking for income, and you should add that back into the performance, because, you know, you're going to get 5 6% fully franked in the banks. Yep. It's not bad yep. Um, yep. For, for very little risk over a long period of time. Um, this one does what it says in the box, as I say, unless you want to take extra um, punting with the currency, go with the currency hedged one. Our currency is a reflection of China. Yep. You know, people sell the Aussie dollar when China's going badly yeah. or it's struggling. People buy the Aussie dollar when there's a big boom in China. We saw that, you know, iron ore when it was 200 bucks last time out, US, we were parity. Now it's iron ore's 135 and we're 66. We're still 200 bucks in Aussie dollar terms. Mm, mm. Um, so, you know, it is a proxy for, for Chinese. You can't go and okay. mess about in the yuan. So you don't mind this one? I don't mind this one, but I think if you if you do, if you want to take the hedge, if you want to take the currency aspect out, which you know where the Aussie dollar is going is a bit of a yep. lottery. Um, go the other option. Go Andrew's option with the hedge okay. one. All right. Uh, next stock uh, is uh, Brady wants a view on Raise the financial services um, uh, through its micro investing platform. Brady says. This hasn't been looked at for a while on the panel, and it recently had a decent result. Could we please get the ETF whisperer and the Lion King to have a yarn about this one? Gee, Brady's in a regular, isn't he, whisperer? Oh, Brady, you're, you're one of our people, Brady. <laughs> uh, when, when, we bring, when we bring out that merch next year, Koshy, yes, yep. uh, um, when we bring out the merch, Brady, we'll have something special for you. Um, so basically, goodness knows what that will look like. Uh, Lego. I, um, I, <laughs> Lego. I um, was one of the early users of Ray's. Yep. the product. So again, just very, very briefly, it's like a micro transaction piece. So you link your credit card to it and you go and buy a cup of coffee and it's $4.50. Obviously don't buy coffee. And um, it rounds it up to five or six bucks and that dollar fifty difference, they use that to go and buy a portfolio of ETFs. Like that's how it started. Really interesting little business. They've now got 674,000 customers and about $1.1 billion funds under management. So that all sounds really interesting. But when you actually sort of look under the hood, they're involved in Australia, um, Indonesia and Malaysia. The average Australian client portfolio value is $4,000. Right. So not exactly right. earth shattering. The average value in Indonesia is $3 not three thousand three dollars and $3 and the average uh, value in Malaysia is $124 now again these are new, these are new businesses for them so I'm not casting aspersions that they shouldn't be there far from it you know these are growing economies but let's just focus on the Australian business you know which is what Ray's are doing they're really sort of focusing on the Australian business like four thousand dollars I know that if we ran a business and the average client FUM was $4,000, we'd close the doors today. Like it's just not sustainable. So I think that's the challenge the market has with it. They also had some um, internal ructions as well with shareholders and that sort of stuff. So again, management was being distracted. So I'm not painting a, a really happy picture here. No. However, I note and without trying to steal Henry's thunder, I'm guessing he's about to raise that Thorny Investments, so it's popped up on Thorny's radar, and Henry can talk us to, to Thorny, but they're now holding about 8% of, of raise. So I suspect there's potentially some sort of capital event, some sort of, um, you know, someone might come and have a crack at raise, albeit, you know, there's some particular reasons why they, why they wouldn't. Um, so I think they're in the right space. I think they've got the right idea. Their funds under management is too low, but the corporate appeal is interesting. On balance, it's a hold. Okay. Henry? Um, the volume on my earpiece from Andrew dropped. So um, I'm sure he said some really worthwhile things. Uh, um, it, did, uh, the challenge to you, um, Thorny is on the register at 8%. Yeah. I mean, this is like raise the Titanic right. at the moment. Um, this one has sunk into oblivion to some extent 40 cents it's been flatlining for a while now i saw the guy uh, the md present back in october at a small cap conference and was pretty impressed i actually use raise myself uh, and they're rolling out new products new options uh, in terms of what portfolios you can pick they've also got a big uh, advertising campaign with the uh, seven uh, 
uh, coming out this summer. Mm. Uh, I think it's called Raise Your Game Boxing Day Test. Uh, the Pakistan test starts tomorrow. Right. Uh, series. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> Cricket. Followed, followed, you know, followed by the West Indies. Follow, yeah. Oh, that's a that's yeah. a glittering array. You know how you know how SBS always used to be called soccer bloody soccer. Yeah, yeah. And it's cricket bloody cricket. Oh. I mean, we just finished the World Cup, and then we had. I don't know, oh, the, no. the three over series and the five overs. Oh, I mean, no. come on, guys. Bring That's, back the footy. Bring back the, bring back the World Cup. That's what I say <laughs> in anything. Um, I don't mind Rays. Uh, I was quite impressed with the really? guy. Um, they are, as Andrew uh, said in a whisper, because he is the ETF whisperer, because I couldn't quite hear him, but I'm sure he said this, um, was uh, this propensity. They, they went overseas and yeah. frankly, they went chasing you know, it's this whole thing that the addressable market. Yeah. You know, if we can only get one percent, we're going to be rich. I mean, come on, guys, yeah. it's not easy to get that one yeah. percent. Um, and they went for the big numbers: Indonesia, Malaysia, this sort of stuff. Uh, and it really has been a bit of a flop. And they are pulling back from that and refocusing the business back on the Australian market. The problem they have is that the young people, who this is designed for and was sort of rolled out for. They don't have any money. No. You know, my, my daughter and my, my son, who used to donate money or put money into raise, they don't have any money. Yeah, rents have gone up. The Cozy Live. Yep. I know Cozy Live and the rents have gone up and everything. $14 for a foot long subway the other day. I was staggered. <laughs> 14, and it's not even a foot long. Yeah. <laughs> $14. I couldn't believe that. Um, but with raise, that was their target market. They have moved their demographic higher. Yep but they haven't really got there yet. Whether the campaign with seven achieves that, I don't know. 40 cents, you kind of think, you know, come on guys, get big or get out, because they really don't have enough funds under management. But pulling back from the peripheral, the overseas expansion is good. I was quite impressed with the guy running it. Um, it for me, it's a hold here. Probably it's, it verges on a speculative buy at 40 cents only because I think they're heading in the right direction. And if we do get mm. some traction out of this ad campaign, uh, they've got a media partnership, $5.5 million investment from seven. It might, you know, blood okay. in the water might stir somebody into buying them. All right. Plenty got a deal. Look at Plenty with yeah. NAB the other yeah, day. Yeah. Yeah. Now stock's gone nuts. Yep. So. Okay. All right. Figures cross for raise over summer. Uh, could be the most, their ads could be the most exciting yeah, uh, but anyhow, um, Zane wants a view, Andrew, on Aussie broadband. The uh, what do you call it? The the high end uh, telco provider. They've gone for that. Haven't they? That market. Oh, what have you got? It's Sorry, got a duck out. it looks Just, like a duck and quacks like a duck. And it's a duck. Uh, Sorry, I am paying attention. It's my fidget toy, um, Aussie broadband. So disclosure: I'm a customer of Aussie broadband right. and. I must say I'm a really happy customer of Aussie Broadband. Their, uh, the, their service has been excellent. This isn't an ad. It's more speaking to the fact that in regional Australia, um, some sort of providers sort of promise reasonable speeds and in fact don't deliver. And certainly my experience, has, that's been the antithesis to the point whereby they actually have a like an online tool where you can see capacity of the network. Um, so you can just log in and go, gee, my system's slow. Oh, that's why, because every kid's playing Xbox or whatever the case may be. So in the context of customer service, they've been excellent. They've been going out and doing a whole lot of acquisitions. They've got nearly 700,000 customers. They've got about 7% market share of the NBN. And they've recently gone and done a share purchase plan at $3.55 to fund the buying of Symbio, or the old mine net phone. Yeah. It's trading in line with consensus. It's about 385, I think, is consensus. So it's okay, but it's probably not great buying. And whenever there's an SPP share purchase plan, there's always a bit of indigestion afterwards. So on that basis alone, it's sort of leave it alone. But to me, it's sort of one of these businesses that are actually doing what they say they're going to do. And if you've got happy customers, that generally leads to a good share price. So on any weakness, I would certainly consider being a buyer, but on the basis of that SPP trading okay. near consensus, okay. it's old. Okay. Are you as impressed? Are you uh, a customer? Uh, I'm not a customer, I'm afraid. Um, I'm not a customer, but they do rank sort of head and shoulders above anybody else in terms of customer satisfaction. Yep. They do have call centers here. I have that call ad um, with the bloke with the hose out the front. Um, these guys have just raised money. 
They've just bought Symbio. They beat uh, a rival to the punch in that one. I think the stock at the moment is under a little bit of um, indigestion. And we're seeing a little bit of that indigestion at the moment as things bed down. They do have a pretty good track record uh, management wise of uh, getting those synergies out. I think they will. I don't mind this one at all. It's not the sexiest sector telcos, is it? Let's face it. No. You know, it's very hard to find a sexy telco these days. Um, <laughs> and then you've got the risk, of course, like you get a, an implosion with, uh, with Optus uh, and uh, that, but you know, and Telstra is not that sexy. This is probably the sexiest of the, sex, of the unsexy telco sector. Right. Um, I don't mind this one. $3.84, as I say, I think they're being held down a little bit by this indigestion because of the, the capital raise. Once we see the Symbio takeover start to bear fruit, I think we'll see this one pop. I mean, 420, so, 420. So, it's, a, it's a buy, but- So a sexy buy. Oh, it's not a sexy stop, but it's, it's a right. $420 stock. Uh, rather than a three eighty dollars stock, so right. I, you know I think there's ten percent upside. Okay, all right. Uh, the next one, uh, Amy uh, wants a view, Andrew, on the Beta Shares Energy Transition Metals ETF. Yeah, look, this has only been around for around twelve months, Koshi. It's got about twenty million dollars funds under management, which is not inconsequential. But after twelve months, you would think that potentially there'd be a little bit more in there. Uh, so, you know, that to me is sort of um, a question as to what's going on there. And then if you look as to why, well, you know, it's got lithium and as much as we're all believers in the lithium story, the lithium price has obviously been under a wee bit of pressure at the moment. If you then sort of take um, and so has copper and, you know, a number of these other sort of electrification or decarbonisation metals, if you then sort of have a look even just over the last day or so, you know, what happened with uh, COP28, and to say that was a little underwhelming is probably being kind. So even though it might be a thematic that makes sense, there actually isn't really a lot of traction in that regard. It holds, the ETF holds 36 companies globally, um, some Australian names in there like Linus, Pilbara, IGO. Um, I mean, the performance has been a little ordinary, if I can be delicate about it, down 18% for the year. So, you know, poor farm performance isn't there. Thematic is limping along, albeit we all know we need to do it, but there's no real impetus. Uh, I think it's a thanks for no thanks. Okay. Um, Henry? Um, I have um, lithium as one of my um, themes for 2024. It's been an awful awful 2023. Well, you, you think lithium's going to bounce back in 24? I do. Right. I am probably the only one. Yep. And I'll probably be completely wrong. Right. But, but we'll see. Um, so I guess this is one way to get exposure to that theme. I prefer uh, to go direct. Uh, we've talked about that in resources. Yep. You know, my preference would be for something like Pilbara. Yep. 21% of the stock has been shorted. So these guys have made hay while the sun shines this, this year. The, the um, the problem with lithium at the moment is that it's just being the, the metal itself, the chemicals, because it's you know it's just it's made with other stuff, um, and it's not the most transparent of markets. And I get the feeling, and I could be completely wrong on this, but it's open to a little bit of manipulation, something that Chris Ellison talked about from Mineral Resources yep. uh, earlier this year. And I just get the feeling that the you know the the Chinese, you have to think they're playing this absolutely beautifully at the moment, aren't they? Yep. You know, they process all, this, all the resource. They own lots of the mines around the world. They have the world's biggest electric vehicle company in BYD. They've got the world's biggest electric vehicle market. They critical metals, they nail it as well, the rare earths, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They, have, they now control this game. Yep. And once you get control and you drive everybody else out of business, I wrote a bit about this, about Polish builders mm. going into the UK. Um, it was a bit weird. Um, but once you get everyone else out of business, then you can tickle the prices up. Right. And now everybody in England wants a Polish builder and they right. charge a fortune and they're the premium builders. <laughs> but they used to be the cheap undercutters of okay. the English builder. So I. This so is, you're getting set in lithium stocks for next, next well, year? Well, as I say, I like Latin, I like Pilbara. Uh, there'll come a time. 2024 is a long year, yep. so I'm not going just yet. I'm keeping my powder dry because I think at some stage there's a towel chucking in moment. Yep. My moment for that is when the guy at Macquarie who's been an uber bull starts slashing his recommendations and his price targets. Right. As far and as I'm concerned. Well, that could be the bell. Okay. He hasn't done it yet. All right. So the bell hasn't rung. 
but ask not for whom the bell tolls. <laughs> boom, right. boom. All right, so you don't like the energy transition ETF, but you I'd, go Pilbara. I'd go direct. you got serious right. leverage. Okay. Uh, final stock, Jared wants a view on Zip. Uh, buy now, pay later has been sort of a casualty this year, but it seems to be starting to get a bit of support in the market. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Zip was actually my advent calendar pick. You're the one that did it. Yeah. Yes, I was saying. And everyone looked at me as if I was completely... Bonkers. Bonkers. Yep. It was 38, 39 cents when I did it. Yeah. I hit 55 within a week. Wow. So that was the end of the cal- advent calendar. Right. It's basically done and dusted <laughs> now. That was that was it. You know, one week. Um, I don't mind Zip. It's come back from those heady, lofty yeah. heights. I, I guess there's a number of factors. One is that the US consumer continues to spend. Yep. They're just changing the way they pay. And buy now, pay later is becoming more accepted in the US. Affirm and Klarna, we saw that with Black Friday. The level of bad debts that Zip has as well, uh, that of total transaction value, 1.3% below their kind of uh, margin of error, uh, which I think is 1.5 to 1.8 or something like that. Yep. Um, they're still getting customers. They pulled back from all the peripheral businesses. And they're not, they're not just buy now, pay later. They're not, they're but, and they bring in new products finance. as well. Yep. And the other thing that's killed the whole buy now, pay later sector is that money costs more. Yep. You know, in the old days when money was free and they were giving it away uh, in cornflake packets, then, you know, if you're charging a merchant 4 or 5% for your service, and you've got free money, you've got a nice big mm. fat margin. If your money's costing you 4% and you're only charging the, margin, the merchant 5%, yep. yeah, goodbye yep. margin. Yep. Um, but so, money's getting cheaper. Right. You know, we've seen peak rates in the US, we might see them here. So even year. at 50 cents, it's had a run up? It's had a run up. Still you know, I, I had it as a as a advent at 39, it's 50. I'd be happy to, to be patient. Right, but I think this time next year, if we're sitting here, you can you can berate me for my call on lithium, right, and you can berate me for my call on zip. So um, what do you think? What do you think zip will be this time next year? I think that'll be 65, 70 cents. Okay, so all right, yeah, good. That's, Andrew, that's upside. Are you just as uh, positive on zip? No, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Um, uh, which is uh, which is on brand for Henry and I. Um, look, I, uh, I I've got a few concerns. I like the fact they've got two hundred and sixty million in the bank. So go back twelve months, they had three hundred million. So I mean, they burnt through forty million. I'm not suggesting that's helpful, but you know, there's still two hundred and sixty million. They are inching closer to profitability. They're not there yet, but they're getting closer. So you know, they're the positives. The big negative to me, and again coming almost full circle to one of our earlier themes when we were talking about the stroke of the minister's pen, we're certainly waiting to see what regulations coming down the path relating to buy now, pay later. Uh, Michelle Bullock was referring to it uh, yesterday, the RBA governor. Yeah, so, Zip do do uh, credit checks. All yeah. along, so re- regulation could actually play into their hands because yeah. it cements them as the good guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just think it's a, I, me personally. I just think there's there's a few headwinds coming at them. Uh, albeit, you know, the economy is um, likely to miss recession. There's still plenty of pressure on just what we're yep. talking about before about yep. raise and all that sort of stuff. So I can think of more reasons to be not to be there than to be there. If they went back to Henry's buy level, you know, the high 30s, much more interested, not so interested at 50. Okay. All right. Let's recap the uh, the final five stocks. Uh, the uh, Vanguard MSCI index ETF. Um, yes, a hold from uh, uh, from both Andrew and Henry. Um, depending on where you think the Aussie dollar should go, uh, it has a a sister brother index which is hedged. Which, um, if that's beyond the currency, that could be a better option. Uh, raise a hold from both, verging on a speculative buy uh, from Henry. Aussie broadband a hold from Andrew. Um, a the sexiest of the uh, boring telco uh, sector. A, um, a buy from Henry. Uh, the beta shares energy transition a no from both. Um, Henry prefers to go direct into the lithium market. He thinks that's going to be a boomer next year. Big bounce back on lithium stocks. And zip a no from Andrew and a buy on weakness 
from Henry. Henry Jennings from Marcus Estate, good to have you, sir. Pleasure. Uh, Andrew Wylock from DP Wealth Advisory in Toowoomba, always great to catch up. So, sir, yes, he's a little Christmas elf. Merry Christmas to you as well. Fred, Merry Lego Duck. All right, mate. Merry Christmas. See you in the new year when we plan our visit to Toowoomba. All right, if you've got any stocks you'd like us to cover, go to osbiz.co slash callpicks or tweet us on X using the at TV handle. We're running a bit late. Uh, usually the host of The Pulse uh, will get really annoyed with me for running over, but considering I'm doing The Pulse next, I don't really care, but I'm looking forward to another hour. See you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.